0: This is iFanboy BookSplode, Superman Blue, Volume 1.
1: She's electric. She's in a family full of eccentrics. She's done things I've never expected.
0: Hi, Books Booksplode. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hello! And Books Booksplode is our review show that was unlocked by the patrons, and uh, thank you over at patreon.com slash ifanboy uh, got us to this level to do our bi-monthly trade paperback large edition review show, where Josh and I have been really settled into a groove in which we've been going back in time to our younger days to look back at comics we read in high school and college and immediately after college, really to revel in the old days of comics. Or sometimes anyway. hadn't read at all during that era. I guess that would be for this one, but we'll get to that in a second. As we we'll are be talking about Superman Blue Volume 1, which is a compilation of the electric Superman years that started in 1997. I believe the first issue was March 97, in which Superman lost his powers, gained new electric powers, gained a new costume. And uh, this was the first volume of that story, which went on, went on for quite a lo- long time. And it features tons of creators. There's a lot of them. Dan Jurgens, Ron Friends, Carl Kessel, Stuart Eminem, Scott Eaton, David Michelini, Tom Grummet, Louis Simonson, John Bogdanoff, Sean Chen, and more. And this is a volume that DC just put out. It's a nice, hefty collection. I believe it's 12 issues? One, two, it's 360 pages. 14 so. issues, actually. 14 issues. Yeah. Collecting this first 376 pages It's a hefty volume. So we're going to get into it. Spoiler warning, if you haven't read these comics or didn't read them originally, this is a review, so we'll be getting into it. So Josh... You didn't read these, I assume, back in, in the original day. This, is, this would be when we were in college. Yeah, which is surprising. Because as I was reading it, I thought it was earlier than that. And then I, I realized that wasn't the case. Some context into the, in, in the world of comics at this point. So this mm-hmm. is the late 90s. Yeah. DC is starting to pull out of that 90s malaise here. This is post-Death of Superman. And what really pulled it out was the Justice League book by Grant Morrison and Howard Porter. That really sort of modernized the DC universe. And I remember... For a lot of people, because I was also reading Superman books, and we'll get to him in a second. But all of a sudden, at some point in that JLA book, Superman appears, and he's Superman blue. He's electric, and he's got electric powers, and he looks different. And that would be one of your early indications of the thing you often talk about, Josh, is when the event affects the book you're reading. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense here, because the character changed in his own book. But I remember Grant Morrison actually did a really good job with that power set. If you've got to deal with it, at least deal with it and tell some interesting stories with.
2: it. Yeah, and he also didn't like. I don't. I I remember it being sort of, I guess, jarring, but not really disruptive. Like mm-hmm. Superman was still Superman. Mm-hmm. The method with which he went about. Uh, but I remember that happening because like, I read. I didn't read that as it was happening, but those are the first comics that I read coming back. I think also it's important to just understand like the context of comics in general right now. You know, Marvel's in bankruptcy at this point. This is after the crash things aren't going great in comics. And so there's definitely a, we have to do something. And the Superman
0: books, this is a different time. They were still very popular. You had four Superman books and it was a de facto weekly comic. So they, they didn't all always connect, but like once a year they would do a a story where it went through each book. But every week there was a Superman comic. So you had Superman, you had action comics, you had the adventures of Superman, you had Superman, Man of Steel. So every week you had a Superman book and I I read all of them. I think that's, Pretty interesting in that, like, we give a lot of credence to when they did '52,
2: they acted like it was this amazing thing. But really, I mean, they're doing that here. It's basically a weekly book, they've, they've got a history of that. They didn't split it up into like such and such art team does, no, or such writer does four in a row. Like, they were just in a cycle.
0: Yeah, it's impressive. And so w- mm-hmm. they used to have a yearly Superman summit, which well, the creative team got together with the editors to plot out the next year and what their stories would be, and when they would, when they would actually do a weekly story. And, and out of that summit would come the ideas. So that, that's where you got the Death of Superman idea, which originally came out from a, from a joke from one of the writers who said, well, why don't we kill him? This time, you had the uh, one of the colorists, whose name escapes me, but it's in the, it's in the essay in the back, and I'm going to get to it while I talk. Keep talking. He kept suggesting every year that they would, they would do a homage to the classic Silver Age Superman, Red, Superman, Blue storyline. And they kept laughing him off until finally they decided to do it, and Carl Kessel, Glenn Whitmore, Glenn Whitmore was the colorist who suggested it. And then Carl Kessel, one of the writers, suggested, why don't we change his powers and his costume? And they originally thought they would change his costume after the death of Superman, but they realized they had to go back to the classic suit to sort of reestablish him. But here, so finally they decided they would take this opportunity to, for at least a little while, tell the story of Superman with a different power set, a Superman who was learning how to do things again. Because one of the big themes of this book is he, he can't do things the way he used to. And so he's, he has to figure out how to be a hero physically again. So that was one of the things they wanted to explore it, it, in a storyline that went along for, for quite a long time, at least in comic book time. So they came out of that. They had this story where it kicks off. Uh, Superman is dealing with the Bottle City of Kandor. One of the people who lives in Kandor escapes. He doesn't want to be stuck in the Bottle City anymore. He causes havoc in the city. And then. Saratak. Saratak whose original name was Tusk, because he's got two big tusks on his face. And then uh, in an issue drawn by Stuart Immonen, we'll, we'll talk about that too, I think, Superman suddenly starts sparking. He blows stuff up. He's, he's at no control. Did they ever say why this happened in this issue? You in know, I
2: actually was going to bring that up because I couldn't remember. Well, meaning I, meaning like by the time I got to the end of it, I thought, I, you know, I have no idea how this happened.
0: It might be explained later because as I'm looking through it now, he just starts sparking.
2: I think that he changes phase states as he goes through. As Saratak pops – and because they, they did return to that theme a lot is that the the bottle city of Kandor is not directly in the same plane of reality. That's right. That's right. And so as you phase through the bottle in, in a certain way, uh, that changed his, his nature and his makeup, I think. And it, it brought him out of phase
0: with the world. Which might be the reason. I don't think they have actually explained – why? But the point is, he starts sparking electricity out of his eyes and his hands, and he starts blowing stuff up and hurting people, and that causes some trouble professionally. The new conservative columnist of the Daily Planet is writing editorials about how he's a menace, like Spider-Man, and eventually, his powers go away, his traditional powers, and he has totally turned into a man of electricity. And he gets a new suit, which is a, you know, very, sort of, 90s. It's blue and white, electricity-based suit, and he has to learn how to be Superman again, and he has adventures. So that, I mean, that's the the really super high level story of this volume. So, what I'm curious what you thought because I was reading his books at the time, and I'm very, uh, you know, this is a, very much felt like a homecoming. This this team of Superman creators was a very seminal group. They did it for a lot of years: yes. Jan, Jan Jurgens, Louis Simonson, John Bogdanoff, Ron Friends, even Stuart Eminent too. So, what did you think, of, you know, overall when you read this book?
2: You know the the fact is I didn't really read too many comics from this time. If you want to, I want to say that I quit the first time, like in the late '80s, maybe a little bit. I, not, I don't even think I made it into the '90s. I was out before Jim Lee. I was, I, I actually bought the first couple Jim Lee issues. So what mm-hmm. was that? ninety? late '80s, early uh, '90s. Yeah, so I, I kind of missed the boom and the bust. Yeah, and like I said, I came in reading again with the Justice League. That was the first comics that you know basically they came from Connor indirectly
1: yeah, yeah.
2: so I, I hadn't really read books from this time but i did start reading right after this but i remember when i came in i was instantly you know i was 22 and i was uh, the kid who was like I, I don't want comics that are like the ones for kids so i was trying to find whatever sort of vertigo stuff i could or whatever yeah. and i was probably staying away from a lot of this with the exception of
0: marvel knights yeah. sort of a, you know a, a more adult themed well uh, this, this is stuff. like the last gasp of that Old style comic book yeah. storytelling. This book we're reading here in that era. I mean, Marvel Knights and that era, the two thousand two thousand one era, ushers in the modern way of storytelling. Characters not narrating their actions, not narrating their thoughts, although they are in caption box instead yeah. of thought balloons. But that was one of the first things I thought while reading this is that this is sort of the last gasp of yes, your old school traditional superhero storytelling.
2: Yeah, and 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 you know, it's very hard not to notice that as you as you sort of go through this i think it took me maybe a little while to sort of reacclimate. i think on one of our last shows we talked about adjusting for james robinson it was Mm -hmm. very similar to that but before too long i really did settle into the groove of what these kind of comics used to be like because they were very similar to the ones that i would have read in the 80s -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: where it's 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 melodramatic it's silly and and I will say there's an absolute turning point for me uh, when I read Super Gods, uh, where Grant Morrison pointed out he's like comics are ridiculous and they should be. Mm-hmm. That changed everything for me.
0: <laughs> and I mean, so did reading whatever. How many? But you're you're much more everything. open to these kind of comics now than if, if we had read this book five years ago. You yeah. would have probably hated this.
2: Maybe, but now like there is such an element of like oh this is not what comics are anymore and it's what they were. That's fun. It's a little sad. Like, I don't think it would work anymore. So, it's like a bygone era. Yeah. And so, in that way, it's like a little historical timepiece. But, uh, you know, the, the fact is, as I read through this whole thing, you know, I forgave every flaw, you know, in sort of logic or silliness. And I just ha- I had a ton of fun with it. And I think I told you, I was like, I'm having so much fun reading these books. <laughs> I really was. And it was for a lot of reasons, like, because. It's funny if comics had still been like this when we started doing our show or like the, for the time that we've been doing like our show would have been awful. Yeah. Like like it's it's going to be a little hard to talk about this in the way that we do cuz I feel like their goals are very different than the goals of comics now. Uh, for at least a lot of people. Like they were trying to spin a yarn and like they were kind of taking it seriously but they were were keeping it all ages and it was melodramatic and and you know the art was incredibly utilitarian and i don't mean that in a bad way but they, it wasn't trying to impress anybody you get the job
0: done you know it's that Kirby, the Kirby, the, the Kirby aesthetic uh, not aesthetic but the mindset is that you got to get these pages out mm-hmm. i think it's an interesting mix of old and new because there's yes. obviously the old school way of telling stories is here but there it's a little bit it's a little bit modern and so you've got this interesting mix and you've got guys like dan jurgens who is a, if not you know he's one of the, he's like if not an A team he's a B team all timer you know sixth man he's writing very effective modern comics right now mm-hmm. but here he's firmly in that old school style but you also and you've got really classic Superman artists Ron Friends is is not a guy who's going to light anyone's world on fire but he tells really great stories and he does a really great like sort of classic I, square I, jawed I, I, Superman
2: I mean that's the one thing that I came through here there was a bunch of times where, where I did think I was. I was like, oh, this art is great. And I didn't, I don't even mean great like in in the way that, like, if I look at
0: Frank Quitely art, but like the Ron Friends stuff is great. John Bogdanov stuff is beautiful. I was a huge fan of him. He came on for me with Man of Steel. I didn't know of him before that. Mm -hmm. Together with Louis Simonson, we're a great team. And he does this stuff that doesn't look like anybody else's, even now. It doesn't look like anybody else's stuff now. No, but at the same
2: time, like, I, I noticed that as we switched from artist to artist to artist, they didn't all look the same. It doesn't have that house style like we tend to have now at DC, yeah. but it was of a piece. Yeah. Like, it all fit together in a way that I thought worked really well.
0: It's all big superhero action. I mean, enough stuff, you know, everybody's a big bruiser type of character. And, yeah. And then uh, Stuart Eminem, who recently retired from comics, is one of our favorites. <laughs> it's okay. This is how I used to think of him. This is how he drew a lot of DC yes. books. This is—I knew him originally from Shock Rockets, right? Sure. And when he changed his style to what he was drawing for the last few years, that was a jarring change for me, and I had to get used to. It. I always thought of him as the guy whose work was very soft. Yeah, you know, everyone yeah. had a soft edge to them, and it was kind of delicate—not in a delicate, in a quietly way, but it—it it, it just was. Everyone sort of had a very delicate, delicate features and. I know what you're saying. He drew this. He drew Superman's Secret Identity with Kurt Busick. He did some other work. And it was really nice to go back to this style for a little while. Every once in a while, you would see his modern style in here. But for the most part, it was sort of that classic old imminent. And I really liked looking at it. It His work stood out in the book because it was unlike the other guys who were sort of, as you said, very similar style, stylistically.
2: Except for Bogdanov. Right. I mean, I really I think the point that it clicked for me is just I'm flipping through this and trying to trying to recall because I've been reading this over the past month plus. There's basically a Metallo storyline in the beginning, and it's ridiculous. Most of the issue is just his inner monologue to himself, and he's just like a bad guy. Like, it's just kind of a cartoony bad guy. But there's a couple bits where there's a bit where Bogdanov draws that Metallo takes over a subway train Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and, and sort of incorporates it into himself. He becomes a giant sort of subway monster robot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's the <laughs>
2: issue is great. And then he takes over a helicopter. And at the end, he takes over a, uh, a aircraft carrier yeah. and stands up out of the water. And I, and I was like, this is amazing work from a classic. Like, there's a whole fight of him as an aircraft carrier, you know, against the backdrop of the city. And it's it's wonderful.
0: I, that's in my notes. I wrote tra- Mattel the Transformer. Like, he that was just sort of it got it kept escalating, right? So, like, he mm-hmm. was, a, was a car, and then he was a bigger thing, and then suddenly he ended up with an tra- aircraft carrier. And, and that was fun. There's a lot going on here. Um, at the time, they had given Perry White cancer, so he's sick. And there's sort of a plot going on at the planet to, to, to wrest control from him by these people who've been brought on. There's a, There's a new conservative columnist at the planet because that was something going on in the world at the time. Jimmy was off being a TV reporter. He was kind of an asshole.
2: Yeah, I didn't like that.
0: They've always toyed with that aspect of it. But one of my favorite things that sort of ran through this book was there was a couple of guest appearances. You had uh, the Ray briefly. You had Booster Gold. You had the Adam in a a story arc, the de-aged Adam who came out of Zero Hour as a teenager, which was stupid. But one of the things (laughs) I really liked through all this stuff was there was a Justice League envy scenario happening because at the time – Mm-hmm. you went from the Justice League who had all these kind of mixed characters and, in terms of levels of powers and stardom. So Booster Gold was a mainstay for like 10 years in the team. And then Grant Morrison comes along and says, no, no, the Justice League should be all the, ma- the big guys, should be all the heavy hitters, should be the, t- the the big seven. And so you had both Booster Gold and the Atom here sort of having Justice League envy. They were no longer on the team. They felt inadequate because they weren't on the Justice League anymore. How could they get back on the team? And I like that sort of undercurrent of this is how the situation in the DC universe is now. Now it's the big guys are back in the in the main spotlight. How did these guys who, were, who used to be in the team are no longer the team? How did they feel about it? And they mm-hmm. don't feel too they don't feel too good about it. Mm-hmm. I really liked this a lot. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a really nice return to Metropolis in a different way than we're doing now with Bendis. Mm-hmm. This is a very classic. Newspapers hadn't collapsed yet, so we didn't really have that angst throughout it. Right. It just was super. It was a different kind of Superman story. Superman who doesn't really know what is going on. I did like how he went from a really sort of scraggly tech suit to suddenly his nice polished suit from one panel to the next. Yeah. But that's comics, as you said. It was really fun. I really think it's interesting because at the time, I think this was supposed to be jarring,
2: I guess. But yeah, to it me, fun. it just read like I was like, "Oh, this is just like a like a great superhero comic book from that era."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was like a it's it's just it's like meat and potatoes almost. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of times where I was like, oh, they'd never do that now. This is way too silly for now. Yeah. I really get the sense of, of like, oh, we've, we've totally lost something. Mm-hmm. And, and it might be an audience that would buy this.
0: No, there's, there's a sense, and it's something that we've investigated throughout the time on a fanboy. And, and mm-hmm. our old columnist Jimski was really good at talking about this. But the idea that comics have for so long striven to be a medium taken seriously that they, they reject silliness. Any, any, any hint point. of silliness brings back the old days of being ridiculed. And so these kind of stories are just not okay for the most part for the modern audience.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean I'm as guilty of that as anybody at least for a time where I, di- I didn't want that. And, and now I completely understand it and it, it took me a long time to get there. But there was a lot of silliness. It's funny because this is 360 something pages, and at the end, I was like, "Well, wait, what's happening with Scorn?" <laughs> because that that was a really like there's there was a bunch of little things, basically in the background of this whole thing. You've got Superman just trying to learn how to control this thing that's going on, and you know it hampers him. He's trying to figure out who he is, and, and you know that, that all makes sense. It's good, but you have this guy Scorn who in the beginning basically seemed like a monster. You know, he wanted to escape Candor. He gets out in the world, and then as he as he goes throughout the thing, he sort of starts to learn English and decides, like, I want to be like that guy, and he becomes a Superman. He wears the more suit. Or less. He wears the old yeah, suit. Wears the suit. Does the thing. It's really interesting.
0: It's like a a cool change. Really stretchy fabric because it it stretches mm-hmm. right onto Zorn's body. His uh, not Zorn. <laughs> his name isn't Zorn. I keep wanting to call him Tusk because I always got the Tusk, but Scorn. Scorn's body fits him perfectly, uh, he, and he ends up. Romancing the blind daughter of the conservative columnist, which causes problems. And
2: I don't think I put together that there was that that was their connection. Okay. Yeah, because
0: she was she had been kidnapped, and he saved her. Originally, that's how they met. It's not really a super important. She has an oasis shirt on. There's a couple of Oasis. So one of the notes I also made is there's a lot of pop culture references, mm-hmm. which is something I think has been weeded out somewhat to risk dating the comic. But there's so many late '90s pop culture references i
2: think that but at the same time it still feels as if like old people trying to be like hey kids we're
0: still hip which <laughs> i love it's a couple references to madonna yep there's a bunch of stuff it was an interesting time it's 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 not like it is now the second issue of superman so superman 193 which is like the seventh issue in this collection which was the first issue where he got the new suit was the second highest selling book of that year obviously speculators thought it would be a big deal this was a big seismic storyline. It, it, it just came out of a bunch of creators who just wanted to try something different.
2: Do you remember anything about like how you felt about it at the time? I remember not being super thrilled. Mm-hmm. Were you able to, I mean, you are relatively young, but maybe not the most mature comic book reader. Like, Were you able to be like, oh, this is just the thing they're doing, not like, put it in perspective? Or did you think they had ruined Superman?
0: No, I didn't think they had ruined him, but I, I, don't, I don't think I understood well enough. Even though at that point I've been reading comics for 20 years. but Sure. Or not 20 years, because I would have been zero, but like like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Even then, I was like, oh, is this how it is now? Mm-hmm. You know, because I was 20 when this came out. Yeah. I probably find it more interesting now than I did then. I, I, sure. I, I could be fairly certain of that. Well,
2: you have a whole different perspective on it now. I mean, yeah. now there's like an understanding of craft, an understanding of historical perspective, of, you know, an understanding of the business around it, and sort of an ability to just appreciate it for what it is, which maybe we weren't able to do then.
0: We didn't mention Scott Eaton, one of the artists who was like a happy medium between Eminem and the Ron Frenz type, who was also really good.
2: Yeah, and then the, the, the last issue in this collection is an annual uh, drawn by Sean Chen, a name I have not heard in a very long time. <laughs> he did long Iron Man. Man. This is the first time I remember seeing him. Well, oh, you
0: also, David Michelini is one of the writers in, in, of yep. the foursome here. He one of the classic Iron Man writers. Yep. Yeah, you're right. So the final issue in this collection is an, is an annual... As we discussed on our 650th episode, the annuals have gone through many metamorphoses, and in this year, I remember this—they all did pulp-inspired stories. So the, the mm-hmm. tagline is "Pulp Heroes," and they have the classic DC logo on it, which is very cool. Here they end up going to—where um, where did they go? It was uh, Oh uh, Butron, Butron. you know, very convoluted thing about a, an idol, and you know, it's very Indiana Jonesy. It was, but there was the thing about like Sean Chen that I came out is this was the closest
2: guy that I was like, oh, this guy he could be drawing comics that look like this today. Yeah, like you'd be okay with very it. Very super modern. Uh, I mean, the the best thing about this was uh, was
0: Bibbo. Bibbo makes some many appearances throughout this volume, but he's great in this issue. He ends up he ends up on the trip with Jimmy and Lois and a very a feat a lawyer who wears a mm-hmm. white white silk in, in a pulp style white silk suit and fedora and and Clark. And then it ends with Clark meeting Doc Savage in a shadowy alley so they don't have to actually show Doc Savage because they probably didn't have the rights for him. But it was clearly a Doc Savage homage, so he meets him briefly in the alley.
2: Yeah, see, I didn't catch that at all.
0: (laughs) It's just the golden skin and hair. Yep, yep, yep. But you're right. It it is super modern. This this one looked really good, too. Yeah, you just just don't get these kind of one-off stories really anymore. I mean, you
2: do, but you get them in different contexts in different places. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it was a really good example. I think that that doesn't necessarily stand out. Like this isn't like, if you hear us talking about this and you're like, we well, should I read this? This isn't like one of the storylines that people talk about. Like, oh, you got to go back and read Dark Phoenix. You got to go back and read. But if like you are hanker, you're like, wow, what, what did comics used to be like? Or if you're maybe a little older and you want to remember what they were like as a kid, like this seems like a great sort of thing to dive into to just sort of recapture a different time. I mean, one of the ways you can do that is you've got four series interweaving, so you have all these different creators that are working together. It's totally coherent and cohesive. Like, the ed- the editors were really doing their job back then. And it's yeah. funny because... No email. You always no, complain yeah. about editors now, and I'm like, oh, maybe they were really good back then. That's definitely a thing, but it definitely is the tone of a different time. But it's it's not bad. It's not like, oh, this is so childish, I can't, I can't deal with it at all. Uh, it's just... You know the the same kind of craftsman but with a slightly different audience in mind.
0: And also one of the the nineties take a lot of heat justifiably, but one of the I think for me bright spots throughout the entire nineties was the Superman line. Uh-huh. Uh, you had a really strong group of creators throughout the entirety of the nineties. You had this style of storytelling where they all interweaved at times and didn't and, and came together and told weekly stories. You had the little triangle on the cover that gave you a number. I mean, they,
2: of, they barely had email at this point.
0: They 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 said the thing they didn't use it, so they didn't really have. It was wow. all classic editing in general but i thought superman was one of the standout things throughout the 90s crazy mullets aside 90s tropes aside they always had a really high quality group of creators on the books telling these kind of stories and so anything from that era i think is a, is a good bet if you like those kind of comics i'm glad we read this because it is sort of a weird offshoot of superman comics and dc comics and it didn't last a long time but it lasted long enough
2: yeah, and and I, and I feel like having read Superman through the early two thousands, I, I think I read quite a bit of it. I don't think it was as successful as this, mm-hmm. the way that they approached it. And I and really, like it, if, to me, it was a it was a little bit of an education. I think it's going to give me some perspective mm-hmm. um, on looking at comics now and sort of like, well, what was enjoyable about this versus that, and then. Being able to sort of appreciate that level of melodrama and, and that silliness and that, you know, just and, and I have been I've been enjoying that in comics a lot more now than I ever have. So I think that, you know,
1: <laughs>
2: there's, think... there's a great panel of scorn with the blind girl and they've eaten like a bunch of burgers uh-huh. and he's like got his feet up on a on a TV tray and they're in the apartment and there's cats climbing over him. It's, it's one of the best things in this whole book. <laughs> I really like that last arc. Where Superman and Adam are trapped in the bu- in Candor, yeah, really wonderful art in that one. And then Scorn is basically you know taking Superman's duty back on Earth. It's, it's great art in that. This is all of the art in this was really fun to read.
0: It was good stuff, and any, I think anything with Bibbo was terrific. Yep. When he got in that brawl, was like you've just messed with the big, you know, the best bar brawler in all of Metropolis. He's always super fun. I think one of the things about modern comics is there's a weight of expectations where everything has to be this big, epic arc. Mm-hmm. Every story has to be this epic game-changer. And while they were doing that here, they, it didn't feel like they were striving for it. It just feel like they were... Yeah. I mean, I think the difference, though, is that they could kind of count on a base level of sales that they can't now. Sure,
2: Comics now always has to be juggling. They all have to be peacocking and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, and if you don't, you don't get noticed. And that's really sad because I think that some... Just sort of good quality fun, and we we definitely try to highlight that stuff. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I'm reading a lot of books now, but those books tend to not be around long. They don't get noticed because just this for being there and being sort of good as as opposed to constantly innovating something that maybe isn't necessary to innovate.
0: Right. Yeah. It was a different. It was definitely a different time for sure. Yep. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed reading this. I like Clark's tucking his pants into his boots in the strips to Bhutan. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> just good stuff. I mean, it's it's this was a fun read, and it's it, it's just interesting story to see a different kind of Superman, where he's still Superman, but he's he's not able to lift things and and do th- things. It's frustrating. Yeah,
2: I found it genuinely frustrating that like he couldn't do the things, and like it it changed his perspective. I there's actually some really nice character stuff in that.
0: When he wasn't in his power, he was completely human, so he was getting hot and tired and hungry mm-hmm. and. It's like, this sucks. I don't, I don't like this at all. I couldn't
2: tell who the writer was from <laughs> issue to issue. And I, and I mean that in a good way. Right. I could tell the artists were, but the writers were, you know, very consistent. You know, and still, you know, still telling the story with a good voice. Like Superman had a great voice. My favorite character through this whole thing was the professor guy Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. So you still around? Yes, Yes. That's great.
0: This was a tumultuous time. I mean, 97 was the, the year where the Heroes World experiment ended with, you know, Marvel having their own distributor. And that all full, that all collapsed. But so I'm looking at old sales charts. So Superman 123, which was the issue where he got the new suit, sold over 200,000 copies. Wow. And then you don't have to scroll down that far to Adventures of Superman 18, which is, you know, another issue, sold 100,000 copies. Action Comics, 733 sold 96,000 copies. Man of Steel sold 88,000 copies. So, I mean, this was four issues of Superman selling between 88,000 and 200,000 copies in a month.
2: That's after the bust.
0: Yeah. The entire top 10 is above 100,000 copies sold. The entire top 13 is above above 100,000 copies sold. This was a different era. Yeah. All these books outsold JLA, actually, which is interesting. Different times. I'm glad you, you suggested this one. I would not have suggested it.
2: Yeah, it was super fun. I'm 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 glad. I like the perspective of it. And this isn't like you know some of the other ones we've read and been like, oh man, I remember. And it, for me, it wasn't that at all. It was just more of a archaeology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it. And it's, it, it's
0: and it's a very interesting specific time, mm-hmm. not for just for comics but for Superman comics. Yeah, this is sort of I don't want to say the last golden age, but this was a, might be the last period of time where Superman comics were really popular and relevant, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And because it, it was twenty years ago. You know, they were as popular as anything on the shelves at the time. Cool. Do we rate this one? Do we we still doing that? I don't think we rate them. Okay, let's not rate them. So let's just say go to iFanboy.com. If you have memories of reading Superman comics in 1997 or the Electric Superman or any of that, you can go to iFanboy.com. There'll be a post for the show. You can tell us all about it. I would
2: love to hear someone who didn't read comics then or is maybe younger than us or whatever and read this and and sort of see if they can have fun with it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely – That will take a
2: while to report,
0: but – and also, you can go there and you can find our weekly Pick League podcast where we talk about the week's comics, Josh and I. And also, we rotate this show with the bi weekly Talks which Josh interviews a creator, talked to monthly. Talk. Well, it's, it, it's a monthly show, but it's books bi- bloated. It's it bi weekly, and I'm not putting one you're out. You're not every doing a bi weekly? I'm, I'm <laughs> not.
2: Tired. I've not decided to do that.
0: Much like Clark Kent, I feel the heat and the tiredness. It's fine. So last month, Josh, you talked to, I was going to say James Spader, but that wasn't it, Jeff Parker. Next month will be another creator, and the month after that we'll have another explode. We were already negotiating the book. We were talking about it before the show.
2: Jeff Parker is a guy who's one of the only guys around I can think of who could write a comic like this. His comics are very linked to this type of mm-hmm. own, I think, but also being modern at the same time. And as a result, uh, he's not on any big Marvel or DC books.
0: <laughs> it's a different time. Yeah, Time is moving inexorably to the end. <laughs> So that got dark at the end. Let's talk about saying goodbye. I, it really is okay. hot. I really am tired. But let's so that was Superman Blue Volume 1. I really enjoyed it. Josh really enjoyed it. Tell us what you thought of it. We'll be back in two months with another book explode. And until then, I'm Connor. Goodbye, I'm Josh. Thanks.